My name is Tessa and I'm your host. Today I am chatting with Allison Wood, who is the author of The Chain Breaker, It Stopped With Me. Allison was born and raised in Arizona. She considers her faith and family to be the most important to her. She has been married for 32 years. They have seven children and 15 grandchildren. Allison loves to read and learn. She also loves to design and decorate and be creative. If she isn't spending time with her friends and family, you can find her in the kitchen cooking and baking. This book that we discuss today is more than just her story. It represents hope. Hope for others facing similar pain from their past, but even more, it's a blueprint for emerging from the heaviness and imprisonment that pain causes. If you'd like to learn more or get in contact with Allison, you can reach her through email at allison at iamthechainbreaker.com. You can also find her book on Amazon. Allison says that when you've learned the pathway out of generational pain, the relief is indescribable. It is the sweet relief, this gift, that she hopes you'll discover in her book. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation, so let's get started. Allison, thank you so much for being here and taking the time um, to talk about your book, The Chain Breaker. And first, I just wanted to, I guess, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about everything in your book. Because uh, I want people to go read it, um, but why don't you tell us, I guess, why you wrote the book, um, or even give us a little bit of background of what happened um, when you were growing up. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. Really, this means so much to me. It really, truly does, and I'm grateful that you read the book, and I'm just so excited for others to read it. I knew pretty much from the time I was 10 or 12 that I wanted to write my story. Wow. Yeah, it just kept coming to me. You need to tell your story um, because I knew that other, my story is not unique. And unfortunately, sadly, my story is not unique. And I know that there's so many people out there that have gone through similar things. And I wanted to be an avenue of hope for them. Yeah. And so um, I knew that I, this was going to be my journey at some point in my life, but I also knew that I couldn't write it until my parents had passed. Okay, so they've both passed. They have both okay. passed, yes. Okay. And I, I didn't want to hurt them. I knew yeah. that even though my dad was the source of the pain and the abuse, because my dad was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and my entire life, and I, I've learned a lot about alcoholism and it kind of magnifies your natural personality when you become intoxicated. And that's exactly what happened for him. I mean, his natural personality was gruff and mean and angry and bitter, all these negative attributes that he possessed. And so because when he became drunk, it just accelerated that behavior yeah. in him. And I was always extremely bitter, always angry. And I wanted to tell my story to help other people not be angry and bitter. I think it's interesting that you thought that at, at age 10, because in your book, I mean, you went through so much more after the age of 10. Yes. You know, I mean, so it was a lot up to 10 and then, you know, a lot more. So the fact that you still had that thought and the strength to do it later after even more happened, I think is very courageous. 
Yes, because I am far from 10 and 12 years old now. <laughs> and so I, I just, but it was always at the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. And so it was always a thought. And then after my dad passed away first, and then my mom passed away several years later. And in that little interim of my dad passing and my mom passing, it was so strong. You need to do that. And so that was the time where I started taking notes about mm. feelings that came up, thoughts that came up. And my mom and I had conversations and I would write notes down. And, but still knowing that I wasn't taking this task on until after she passed. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I did. And it was miraculous because so many things that happened to me, I blocked out. And our minds just do that to, yeah. s- to survive. Yes. And, but when I was sitting at that computer typing, honestly, the spirit just took over so many times it took over because I would sit there and I would pray and I said okay now what and and my fingers would just start pumping keys out and I would be watching the monitor going oh that's right I remember that and and so the spirit was just working through me on what needed to be said yeah what needed to be shared for Yes. It's obviously going to touch somebody. Um, I, I never went through anything close to what you did, but it really touched me. Mm. It was very eye-opening about what can happen, um, and, but that there's hope and that you can you know, get through it. So tell us a little bit about your, I don't want to say experience, mm-hmm. but it is your experience right. of, of abuse. Right. You know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it was pretty much like Groundhog's Day growing up. So every single Saturday night, my dad would go out and he would close down the bars and he would come home. My mom worked retail and so that made her be gone on Saturdays. And so because she was gone, she wasn't there to, I always call it babysit him. And so he would leave. He would do his things around the house. His, he was big into yard work and we were always out there helping him every morning to, on Saturdays. And then he would leave mid, you know, probably around three or four o'clock he would leave. And that's where he would go. And he would just get so drunk and out of control and how he made it home every single Saturday <laughs> night is right. mind boggling to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No reading. And I was like, wow, I, I'm surprised that he made it home. <clears throat> It's miraculous, (laughs) truly, it's miraculous. And, you know, he didn't go unscathed. There was a lot of DUIs that he, Mm -hmm. you know, received and lots of lawyers and, you know, trying to keep him out of jail and all the things that happened. But because of his rage, he was just, he just had a lot of rage. He would come home in all these Saturday nights. If we stayed home, and I don't want to dig in too deep, a lot of times we escaped you know, we could talk my mom into escaping and fleeing to a family member's home so that we didn't have to encounter that. But then he would seek us out times mm-hmm. too. But we would be awoken to him, you know, taking out his anger on her. Mm. And so there was three of us. I have an older brother and older sister. And we would wake up and, you know, try to stop him over and over again. And then we would listen to him all the reasons why. He was angry. All the reasons why he was beating her. Um, and I was always terrified of him that his anger would come towards me. Mm. And so I became this quiet, very submissive, 
child that just stayed in my room, did not speak really unless spoken to um, because I didn't want to ever encounter his wrath. And I never did. I, I just was always shut up in my room, never came out unless I was, when I got older mm-hmm. as a teenager, I would just leave at that, those times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I lived in fear. It w- and it never went away. It was always like that my entire growing up years. Yeah, that's just, I mean, <clears throat> being so afraid not only for yourself, but for your mom. And um, I know in one part of your story, you talk about how your brother stood up to him. Yes. Uh, when, you, when you were older, mm-hmm. a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that like, watching your brother like, stand up for your mom and for the rest of you and interact that closely with him. I remember that incident, well, several incidents, but one in particular, like it was yesterday, you know, and my brother became taller than my dad. And even as a young teenager, he was taller than him. And, and I, my brother, I'm sure all of a sudden to me, because he's five years older than I am, it felt like that happened overnight, him Mm -hmm. being larger in stature than my father. Um, but for my brother, I feel like there was a, just an awakening in him that I don't have to be afraid of this person anymore because I'm bigger than he is. Right. And so, um, but I just remember it very vividly as trying to escape. This was a time where we were trying to escape. A lot of times we would escape before he got home. And, but then other times we tried to escape while it was going on. And so my sister and I would immediately get in the car. You know, we were in the car, we're waiting, you know. And my mom wouldn't come out until my brother was in the car too. And this, these particular occasions, my brother just stood up to him. And you could just see it, no words were spoken. My dad was not yelling, but you could see both of their fists clenched. And I would just be sitting there, because that's something that I didn't want to have happen. Mm-hmm. I did not want to see my brother and father getting into this big fight. Yeah. And, um, but because my brother was able to look down on my father, my father never did anything. Wow. It was just this evil, evil, mm-hmm. anger, expression. There was just so much hatred there. Mm. And eventually my brother would just turn away and get in the car and we would drive away. Wow. So what about... Um, obviously you heard him abusing your mom, yelling at her and things like that. Did you ever witness him? Oh, yes. Okay. Many times. And then um, a lot of the times when we would come in, because my brother was bigger, he could get my dad off of my mom, and then we would just see the repercussions of it. Yeah. Um, Because I'm sure it happened quickly. You know, just listening to her tell stories about it, he would come home. She was usually asleep. I'm this kind of the scenario. He would come home. She'd be in bed asleep. We would all be asleep. I mean, we're talking two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, people are asleep and he would come in and just start immediately. He wouldn't say anything. He would just start abusing her. And of course she would be screaming and then he would be screaming angry things at her. And that's how we would get woke up. And so we would hurry and run in and when my brother was little, you know, we would all just stand there and cry, begging him to stop. And eventually he would, fortunately. And then other times my brother would pull him off. And then we would either leave at that time. But most of the time, 
my mom made him food. So she would be standing in the kitchen abused. Then, you know, the, the scars, the, yeah, the obvious math, yeah. result. Uh-huh. And she would make him food. And we all had to sit there at the table listening to all of his condescending accusations over and over again. So our self-worth was just in the gutter. We didn't, yeah. we, because we didn't feel like we were, we were a problem for him. You know, we, we, we caused things to be difficult in his yeah. life because we were around. That's how he made us feel. And I think in your book, even you talked about how he felt that your, your mother, his wife, and you guys were just so ungrateful yes. for everything that he did for you. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was a scenario that was repeated over and over yeah. again. And I'm sure that's got to be hard, especially as a young kid, to hear that, you know, you're just ungrateful and you're not, you know, you just, he does everything and you do nothing. You know, yeah. that can't be... That can't be fun. Well, it was, I was perplexed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always thought, what is it that I'm doing that yeah. is causing him to think this way? And so I just believed it was my existence. That's what I believed. I thought, because I came last, I'm four years younger. So mm-hmm. my brother and sister are like 18 months apart. And then four years later, I came. So I fully believed that I was this accident. And I made things harder. Okay. You know, because yeah. my dad did work hard. He physically hard. He was a mechanic. You know, that's not easy. And especially in Arizona back then, the, the automotive repair shops were not air conditioned. Mm-hmm. And so he did work very hard for, for us, which yeah. I know that. He worked very hard for us. And he never, I don't really honestly feel like he believed that. But in his drunken state, all these things come out of his subconscious and that's what came out, is that we didn't appreciate him. He worked and did everything for us, and we showed no gratitude. Wow. I just can't, I just can't imagine. Um, like, about, about how old were you when you realized, when did you comprehend that what was happening was abuse or not even a good thing? You know, did you ever realize, like, say, wait a minute, this isn't normal. This mm-hmm. isn't how life is supposed to be. You know, were you still a kid? Were you older when you're like, wait, not everybody is like this or? I was in the fifth grade when I realized it. Wow. And so what is that? Like, 10, yeah, 11? I was going to say. Um, but I, I correlate everything to either my grade in school because of the house we lived in. Because we moved so many times. I mean, 20, 30 times in 18 years. And it's because... And so I always remember, okay, this is where I was at. This was the grade that I was in. And so this is what was happening at that time. So that's why I say fifth grade. Um, because that's when I became really close to a friend of mine whose father was this, and I write about him in my book, but who became this perfect father figure to me, all about love and kindness and being gentle and truly being interested in me. And taking the time to be with me and learning about my day or whatever was going on. And that's when I learned, okay, this is what a father's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. I do not have this. I have never experienced this jubilation when the father comes home from work and he's so happy to see everybody and hugs and kisses abound. And I, I never witnessed any of that until I saw that in her home. And that's, I think it's because I became old enough 
to go to people's houses Mm -hmm. on my own. And I spent a lot of time there. And I fell in love with this man. I mean, he, I fully envisioned him being the father to me my entire life, Mm -hmm. that he would be the person that I went to. Did, did it make you resent your father more? In a sense, yes. Um, but I had so much resentment already. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just fully felt like then that I got in the wrong line in heaven. That's really what I believed uh-huh. then. <laughs> and I do not believe that now. But like that's, I slipped and went to the wrong family. <laughs> yeah, truly. That's yeah. what I thought. And yeah. so I thought um, there's no way. Because, you know, we're always taught. We choose our families. And, yeah. Which I know that to be true. But yeah. then as a little girl... I thought there's no way I would ever choose this. And so I had so much animosity built up towards him for all the things that he had done and how our lives were and that I don't really feel like I could have had any more after I found out what a true father could be like. I just gravitated. I kind of ignored what I didn't have Mm -hmm. with my real father and focused on what I now had in this friend of mine's father. Yeah. And how grateful I was that he came into my life. Well, and what a what a blessing though to have a little bit of heaven. Yes. You know, or kindness. And so that it wasn't just always this one way while you were growing up. Oh yeah. I couldn't He changed everything for me. Yeah. This man. Yeah. He did. And I feel like he's the one that really gave me hope that there's love in the world Mm -hmm. because I didn't see love in my home. I didn't see it between my parents. I didn't see it from my parents to us children. There wasn't, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what that concept was until he came along. Heartbreaking, like very heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine not having that or, you know, feeling just feeling that way all the time and not being able to experience love, you know, until that age. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you feel that, I mean, because obviously it affected your mental health, mm-hmm. your emotional yeah. health. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, as a young um, lifeline. Mm-hmm. And so I just really focused on that and I blocked everything else out. I didn't really feel like we were, um, that I had any issues. I didn't feel like it was affecting me. I, because I put on this big fake mask and I talk about that in the book as well, that anybody that knew me and knew me well would never have known anything was going on in my home. Yeah. Negatively. And as a kid, I think that's, um, I don't know, some, you know, most kids, I don't know if they're mature enough to, or maybe, maybe it was, you know, being embarrassed and not wanting people to know, mm-hmm. but, um, and also, you know, mental health, emotional health wasn't really talked about. There wasn't really a lot of, you know, uh, avenues, I think for that, um, as, as there is now, you know, there's so many opportunities, um, and, you know, probably a lot of human nature judgment of, oh, that person must have issues, you know, True. but hiding it had to really do something, um, to your emotional 
I would even think physical health. Absolutely. And I do not recommend that. And that, <laughs> and that is addressed yeah. in my book when I started going to therapy and counseling and all the mm-hmm. things that that's actually a big detriment when we pretend that nothing's wrong. And, but I did that for decades. Mm-hmm. I, and it was my way. I was embarrassed. Yes. Embarrassed is, a, is definitely the factor there. I did not want anyone to know mm-hmm. that my family was dysfunctional. And I didn't even know that word then. But I knew we were different. And because as I started venturing out and going to friends' homes and then having sleepovers at friends' homes, and I saw that the dad didn't come home drunk. The dad wasn't mean. The mom was happy. The There was hugs and kisses and all these things that were so foreign to me that I knew we were different. Mm -hmm. And so when my friends would talk about sitting down at the piano and singing with their dads, and I pretended that we did that too, even though we didn't even own a piano, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I pretended that their world was my world. And so when I would go to school and I would go to activities and functions, I never talked about it. But I could laugh along with them like, oh, yeah, I totally understand. That's exactly what we do, too. And, and it really helped me then get through it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to focus on the icky stuff that was going in my home. Well, yeah, that could drag you down, I mean, mm-hmm. to, a, to an even different level of, of darkness. Yes. But it wasn't until probably this is really sad to say, but probably 15 years ago that I finally came to the realization 15, 18 years ago that, you know what? It's time that you let everybody see the real you and it's okay because I had built up such a defense Mm -hmm. that if people know the real me, they're not going to like me. Mm -hmm. You know, and I want everybody to think that Allison is just got it all together mm-hmm. when she's a mess. Oh, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We all want to feel that way. Yes. But yes. You know, and then that's when I started making the shift. If you're not real, if you're not raw, how are you ever going to be able to help people? Right. Right. And was it hard to, I mean, I'm sure it was, but was it hard to show people your real self? Because did you, did you even know <clears throat> who your real self was? at that point? Yes, because I had started doing therapy long before that. Okay. Okay. And that would probably be the only reason, you know, um, but it, it happened when, like I said, probably it was 18 years ago when I, my kids were being raised and all these things were happening in my life. And I was a leader in the church and I thought, I can't let people know what's going on. And (laughs) how am I supposed to be an example? How am I supposed to lead if all these things are falling apart in my world? Yeah. But then the spirit just conveyed to me that you are going through these things to help other people. This is your journey to help other people. Mm -hmm. And it was so empowering. And that's when I just let my walls down. And I, I just gave a lesson at church that day or that around that time period about this is the real me. Wow. The good, bad, the otherwise. This is the real me. And because I wanted to become relatable. Mm-hmm. And when we put on these facades that are not a reality in anybody, mm-hmm. then we become distant from people. We don't have those bonds 
and those relationships that form out of being relatable. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're right. If you aren't able to share um, who you really are and, and also how you got help and what's changed you, then how can you help someone else with whatever they're going through? You know, it's really important because, yeah, you need to be able to understand and they need to be able to understand. So in, in your book, um, you talk about your, your first marriage Mm -hmm. and, um, how you, I guess kind of like how maybe this was an outlet for you and things were going to be better. Um, but because of your childhood, some things started coming to light while, when you first got married. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So first off, to preface everything, I didn't know how to love. I didn't receive love. I didn't know how to give love. I didn't know. That was a foreign concept to me. Even though I had dated in high school Mm -hmm. and I was always taken back, wow, this, what? This guy likes me. He wants to go out with me. It It was a thing that I just wasn't used to. And even in college. And, but I knew my sister was married, my brother was married, I was the only one at home. If I wasn't gonna stay in college, then I had to get married because I couldn't be in that home by myself with my parents. I just couldn't do it. And so um, the first person that asked, I said yes, and we got married. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't, you don't, you don't marry somebody unless you love them. Let's just talk about that for a second. Don't get married to somebody yeah. <laughs> unless you love them. I mean, there should be something there. There needs to be something. Yeah. There has to be something at least to build on. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I didn't know how to do that. And so, and never being um, sexually active prior mm-hmm. to marriage. I mean, I'm just going to say it how it is here. Yeah. Um, that is when I learned something's really wrong with me. Mm. is when we started being intimate in a marriage and all these things started happening to me and I didn't know what it was and then I started having night terrors mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I talk about that pretty extensively yes I actually didn't know that adults could have night terrors mm-hmm. and so as I'm reading this like it really broke my heart it really broke my heart Yes, and it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I had thought that I had left the fear and the terror and the horror behind mm-hmm. when I married and was out of my home, my, my parents' home. I thought that I had left that. I was starting a new chapter, and I didn't have to have fear anymore because I was an adult. I had my own home, my own life. I didn't need to fear my past anymore. Yeah. And then these night terrors started, and I it is literally like you're being where someone's coming in that's Mm -hmm. what it was like an intruder came into my home that wants to rape me attack me murder me Mm. that's the fear level that was there and so every time it would happen somebody is standing there's a man in the doorway i see him like i can see you right Mm -hmm. now other than there's no face Mm. Um, but the body everything is standing there and the face is blacking out and he's there and he's coming to get me and I wake up and I'm screaming and I'm trying to get away from the door, as far away from the door. And to this day, even though I'm, <laughs> I've done the work and I've overcame, I still don't sleep by the door. You know, when the side of the bed, yes, I, yeah. I'm, the way, I'm away You're from the door. As far away as possible. Yes, still today, <laughs> yes. And so, um, but he was there 
And, and that's when I learned that something's going on. But I didn't address it. Because like you had mentioned a little bit ago, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I don't need help. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine. You know, everything's fine. Just forget about it. And so I was really, really proficient at pushing things away, ignoring them. Oh, I must have just had a bad dream. Oh, you know, something happened at the store that made me upset. And it's coming out in this night terror. I mean, I could come up with any possible rationalization as to why this was happening to me. And it went on for seven years. The entire time I was married to him. Two or three times a week. Oh. For seven years. And how did that affect your relationship with him? Well, he thought... Because I had addressed my childhood with him. Okay. And not to his fault at all. In his defense, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. You know, period. And he just kept telling me, this is in your past. You need to get over it. And it's not that simple, you know. But he, like I said, he didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I had no idea at that time what was going on. And it just made me draw further and further away from him. And because he felt like being married, it's the wife's duty to be intimate with her husband. And so for me, that was a huge trigger. And again, he didn't know what's going on inside my brain. Yeah. Um, and, but because he felt that way, it, it made me so fearful of him. This is my assailant. He's my assailant. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like he is my abuser? Mm-hmm. These are the things that kept coming to my mind. And, um, and I would never tell him that. You know, I never told him, you know, I'm afraid of you. You're making me feel like you're abusing me by what you're doing. I never told him that because it was that fear. And so um, after I divorced, after we got divorced, um, I didn't have these for two years, these night terrors for two years. And I was terrified to be by myself Uh because if I have these night terrors, am I going to keep having the night terrors? Because there was an element of it that somebody needed to bring me back to reality. Mm -hmm. And he could do that. He brought me back to reality by a lot of times he would hold me down, which was not the thing to do. But again, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, And so, but I was afraid if I was alone and I had these night terrors, who is going to bring me back to reality? Yeah. What would really happen if Mm -hmm. you couldn't Mm -hmm. wake up or get out of it? Yeah. So I was terrified to be by myself. And so prior to being a single mom, I never was. If he would go out of town, I would go sleep at a friend's house or I would have a friend come sleep with me or I'd go to my sister's or, you know, something because I couldn't be by myself. So anyways... I'm thinking, well, I can't do this for being a single mom. I can't live with somebody, you know. (laughs) And so I just would button, bolt everything up, put chairs under doors, put sticks in windows. I mean, I did everything to prevent this assailant from coming in. And I never had them, not one time. And night after night, I realized that I woke up every morning and was in peace. Hmm. For two years, I was single. And before I remarried... And I just, and then you forget about it after a while. Oh, I don't have those night terrors. I've overcome it. Must have had something to do with him, mm-hmm. you know, being married to him. That's why I had them. And because they didn't start until I married him. And so it had to be him. Well, it wasn't him. It was me. It was still you. Yeah. yeah, it was me. It was me and what I was not willing to address. 
And so what happened then when you got married for the second time? Like, were you okay for a while or mm. did it start right up again? Started immediately up again. Oh my goodness. It, it had to do, which I know now, it had to do with sharing a bed with a man. Hmm. And because I learned, and you read about this, to, I, I don't really touch a lot on it in my book, but you do realize, and you come to, I came to the realization that I was sexually abused. Hmm. And um, because all roads lead to home, kind of so to speak, um, because I have gone to a lot of therapy. And I didn't start therapy until after I married my second husband. Okay. And I started having these night terrors, and he goes, okay, we've got to get this figured out. And he's not the type of person that is, you need to get over it. He's like, we need to figure this out. That's good. Where is this coming from? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the root cause? Yes. Not just, you'll be fine. And that's something that I really want to drive home to the people that are listening to this and to my readers is that whatever we're going through in our life, there is absolutely a root cause. Yeah. It generally does not have anything to do with what's happening currently it has to do with what happened previously that's causing us mm-hmm. to feel this way now. And it's not necessarily our fault. Oh, no. It's because of things, situations that happened, you know, and so we shouldn't blame ourselves and make ourselves feel even worse, which causes more stress and anxiety and, <laughs> you know, yes. can make that trauma worse. Absolutely. It's, it's really, I, I don't want to use the word never, but... It's really never the person's fault. It's really something that's happened to us Mm -hmm. that's made us feel this way. So when you started therapy, Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel at first? Was it just kind of like, oh, this isn't going to help me? Um, Or was it like immediately an aha of, I wish I had done this sooner? Like how, how was that for you when you first started? Well, I had this untrue belief that therapy was for people that had big problems. You know? And you didn't believe yours. And I didn't think problems. I had a big problem. Nope. <laughs> sure didn't. Okay. And boy, did I ever. But yes, but that's what I thought. I'm like, no, going to counseling, going to therapies for people that have really big problems. And so I avoided it. Even though my husband's telling me we need to get this figured out. Well, we're a blended family. Mm-hmm. So my husband has four children. I have three children. And we went to seminars with, with therapists. These big seminars... That, and that's how my counseling and therapy started, okay. was in seminars. Because we wanted to be a success family. We wanted to learn all the important things that we needed to know as parents to blend this family mm-hmm. together. And so that's how it started. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved everything that I learned. It was fascinating. I learned so much about the brain and how it works and how we can communicate with all of these seven children on the things that they're dealing with, you know, being from divorced families and blending new families, you know, all the things that they have. So we learned so much and I just had this greater understanding and really appreciation for therapy. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do you feel was maybe the most challenging or first, I guess, tell us what kind of therapy after the seminars that you did, Mm -hmm. and maybe what was the most challenging for you? I, when the therapist started honing in on my triggers Mm -hmm. and the things that were holding me back, the things that were causing the night terrors, the things that were causing me to react to my husband, my Mm -hmm. current husband, because he did things that 
really set me off. And nothing that he was doing really was a big deal. But for me, it was a trigger. And mm-hmm. so it was a huge thing for me. And it always took me right back to my dad. I was living every single time my husband would do something, you know, and I talk about it and it's kind of comical now and we joke about it. Thankfully we can joke about this now. Right. But, um, he's a big Western fan and Mm -hmm. he watches these old Western. He doesn't watch the current ones, but (laughs) the old ones, they're black and white and they have the old rifle. There's zero acting skills going on in these movies. And, but he loves watching them, Uh but it sent me back because that's what my dad watched. Oh. My dad was a huge John Wayne fan. Uh-huh. And my husband's a big John Wayne fan. Mm-hmm. And I am like, how can you possibly like this man? I, so I hated John Wayne, okay, Aww. which is silly. Yeah. But that's where your brain goes because it associates pain. Yep. So I had this pain and I had this fear that was because my dad watched these movies and I would come in and he'd be sitting there. I mean, I can see him sitting in his chair, smoking his cigarette, newspaper in his lap. John Wayne black and white movies on TV. Okay. So then my husband is sitting in his chair, drinking his Pepsi, watching a black and white TV on John Wayne. It sends me right back to my dad and the fear and the pain Mm -hmm. and the resentment and the anger, all the things. And then all of a sudden I had this pain, resentment, anger towards my husband. And, (laughs) and I'm going, what in the world is going on? So every time a therapist would try to address these things, then my wall would go up. Oh no, this is getting too hard. I don't want to talk about this. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Mm. That's what I would do. I feel like a lot of us do that. Mm. Even outside of therapy, if, if something starts to get hard, we're like, forget it. Never mind. I'm done. I can't keep going. You know? Right. <laughs> because we don't want to deal with things that are hard. So how did you get through that? How did you? Well, I went to therapy like 20 years. Okay. <laughs> Long time. And that's the point that I really want to emphasize is that it doesn't have to take that long. Mm-hmm. And it took that long because I wasn't willing. I wasn't willing to dig deep because every time, and I mean literally every single time it got hard for me and conversations that the therapist wanted to bring up and I didn't want to talk about, I stopped going. Oh. And so, but it doesn't have to take that long. People need to know that therapy is great. These people are skilled. They know how we function and how we work. And if we're, if we can lay everything out on the table, we can be freed so fast. Yeah. That was something in your book. I took a note on that. Mm -hmm. um, In your book, you said we can heal from the trauma we have experienced and move forward. We just need to keep moving forward. Correct. Like, So, you know, you could have broken free um, years before, but because you put that wall up, it took longer. It took, yeah. Yeah. Almost a lifetime, sadly. Yeah. And it's because I, my whole life, that's what I did to survive was put this wall up and Mm -hmm. pretend everything's okay. Everything's great. I'm fine. I mean, I have a shirt that says, Everything's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. You I know? have a shirt too, just yeah. like that. And I wear it all the time when I'm like, I'm having a bad day. I'm putting this yeah. on. I'm fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. We're not fine. And it's okay. Yeah. It's literally okay not to be fine. And it is okay to talk about it because I used to think that it defined me. If I admitted that these things happen to me, mm-hmm. then that's who the person that I am. Yeah. When in reality, and the truth is, it has nothing to do with who I am. No. 
And I love that. I love um, part of part of the uh, towards the end of the book. You said, "Don't get scared and stop, no matter how hard it might be." And I think that's really important because I think we do that for a lot of you know, like I said, a lot of things, not just going to therapy. I mean, something gets hard, and we we just say, "You know what? I'm not good at this. I don't have time for it anymore, and I suck." So I'm just gonna I'm gonna move on to something else, or you know, whatever. But with our mental and emotional health, it's going to get harder before it gets better. Especially, you know, you said you had blocked out, you, you know, you tried not to think about certain things. Um, you weren't remembering things. And so going through therapy, like it brings up all these things in the past that we don't remember that we've tried to hide and it can get really hard, but we shouldn't just give up because I mean, I'm sure you feel much better oh, now. <laughs> now that a you, million times you better. didn't stop this last time, you just mm-hmm. you know a you, million times. Yeah, million t- but that's what happened when they started bringing things up. I thought, why in the world do I want to remember this? Why do I want to go there? I am doing just fine, not knowing all the gory details. Yeah, you know. But what I have learned is that if we don't address the pain and the fear, mm-hmm. then we miss out on the joy and the happiness. Yeah. Well, because both are real, mm-hmm. right? Our pain and our fear is real. Mm-hmm. And by putting up a, a wall, we're, we're saying it's not, you know, we're saying it's not important. And it really is. It's important to address it. Because how can you fully be enjoying life if you are con- continuously trying to keep up this wall? You can't. No. I mean, that's the, that's the cold, hard truth. Yeah. You cannot fully have joy in your life. You can pretend you're happy. Mm-hmm. And you can live life that way. And just by pretending and everybody thinks you're happy. And you somewhat believe it because you've convinced your mind that you're happy. But you miss out on the joy. The deep, peace, mm-hmm. joy that we all should experience in life. You yeah. miss out on that. Yeah, and we all deserve it. Mm-hmm. We all deserve to have joy and to actually feel it and experience it. And I think that's one reason it, it's so important for us to talk about mental health now. Because it wasn't talked about for so long. Right. And so many people hide it because they think it's a bad thing. You know? and, but it's just human nature. I mean, even if, even if someone hasn't gone through the level of uh, abuse that you've gone through, you know, and they think that their life is terrible because of, you know, they were kept in a bubble or I don't know anything, you know, it's, it's not fair. It's not right. Like we need to talk about it. It is okay that things happened and, but we need to be able to move forward and, and then experience that joy. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that. I I 100% believe that. I mean, I have lived it. I have felt the other side mm-hmm. where it's dark and you feel like there's no hope and you go through the day by day feeling like a robot to where all of a sudden you become tangible. Mm-hmm. You become this person that experience laughter at a deeper level, love at the most beautiful level possible. Um, And you still experience pain. And that was my hang up. If I felt like I don't want to experience pain, if, if someone dies, I don't want to be sad about it. Right. And, and so I didn't want to go there and happen to experience the bad emotions, the sad emotions, the hard emotions. But because I wasn't willing to do that, 
I was missing out on the beautiful emotions. Right. Yep. And that can be, I mean, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's, it's a huge game changer. So, um, you know, we've talked, you went through therapy. Well, what, what do you think was the, I guess, the point where you broke through? What was the, was it the EMDR that you did? Because um, I, I know you talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, in 20 years of, of therapy, <laughs> yeah, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, you obviously really didn't want to <laughs> talk no, about no, certain no. things. I didn't. I didn't want to go there. I could have bought a house for what I've spent on therapy. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. <laughs> but no, I just didn't want to go there. I, but is what the pivotal, pivotal moment for me was when I found a therapist. And let me tell you, I've gone through a lot of them. And I feel like it's really important for everyone to know that not all therapists are a fit. You have to keep interviewing your therapists and really finding the right fit. Mm -hmm. And so throughout this therapy journey of mine, um, I found people that were a fit for me and some that weren't, but they all offered something. But the ones that were an absolute fit for me is the ones that made the difference. And so this was, I don't know, probably 18 years ago somewhere in that time frame. Um, my husband, we're still trying to get through things, trying to figure things out. I mean, I've been married to my husband now for almost 32 years. I mean, so we've gone through the gamut of stuff and he's been miraculous, but she's the one because I kept having these night tears. I mean, decades of night tears. It is exhausting. And finally, she's telling me that you have to address your inner child. Because your inner child, every time you have a night tear, she's trying to tell you what has happened to you. Mm. And she still lives in that terrifying horror scene. And you have to address her. And so she taught us, and, I, and again, I talk about it in depth in the book, but she taught my husband, I saw it. my husband came in, and she tells us how to do it. And I'm thinking, okay, this is really freakish. This is really weird. I called it voodoo. I'm like, this is, okay whatever. I, but I, you know what? I was at that point that I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. And my husband was definitely at that point because he saw how it was deteriorating me, but really our relationship because I mean, you cannot have these night tears two to three times a week. And it's not like that you have a night tear and then it's set and over. No, it affects you for the days until the next one comes. Right. And, um, and so when she was talking about this and he, and this, this counselor, she taught us, my husband and I, how to address her, my mm-hmm. inner child. So the next time it happens, this is what you need to say. And this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking again, I'm like, okay, this is crazy stuff, but okay, I'm going to do this. And my husband was on board. That's so awesome though. Yes. <laughs> he, he was on was, board. Yeah. He goes, we're going to do this. And so I said, okay. And I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was afraid. I'm like, my inner child? I mean, I had never had anyone tell me that before. Oh, yeah. I found it extremely fascinating reading about yes. what you guys did. And, and Yeah. And so, it, of course, it happened pretty much like clockwork. The night terrors came. And so instead of him trying to console me as an adult and reassuring me that no one's there, you're safe, all that stuff, no one's in the house, checking the house to try to appease me and... um he talked to my inner child and he did exactly the things that the therapist instructed him to say. 
And then after he said all these things, then I was supposed to say my series of things, talking to my inner child. Mm -hmm. And it took a half a dozen times. And I'm sure because she needed to be convinced, because this is, you know, 40 plus years at that time of her being dismissed, her not being validated, her screaming out for help, and no one is listening to her. Yeah. And so, and then after that sixth time, she was at peace and she never needed to tell me anymore. She never needed to convince me that these things happened to her and she was at peace and I have never had one since. That is so amazing. I know. And so I am here to tell you that therapy works. Yeah. It absolutely works. So that's when I had a shift was when I had that experience that therapy is real and it, you, the brain is so powerful and our subconscious is so powerful and when we learn the skills we need to learn from a professional then we can overcome anything we can we can overcome it all that is so amazing Mm -hmm. um so if you were able to do that with um just talking to your inner child Mm -hmm. what made you do emdr well so we had moved we were living in utah and then we moved to arizona and i knew i needed to find a new therapist so we moved back here, and I was becoming a, a provider, a healthcare pr- person for my parents. Oh, uh huh. And um, I had a lot of resentment. You know, I my resentment kind of shifted, and I talk about that because my whole life I resented my dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted him to die. Mm-hmm. I talk about that too. And it that was, was real. very powerful. Mm-hmm. Like it, I, it really touched my heart and made me feel so sad mm-hmm. for you um, and for him. Because, yeah, yeah like, why, ha- why isn't he dead? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why, what, why do I have to keep going through this? That was a very powerful part of the book for me. And so when that happened, when he was in that huge fire, that, that huge thing, horrible, I mean, that was so, so, so traumatic. But that, I felt like, was the answer to my prayer when that happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Heavenly Father's finally hearing me. He's going to die. Our lives are going to be at peace. And I was 12 at that time yeah that's oh and um and so and then he didn't and I was angry so I and so I I was I had so much anger and hatred towards him and then it shifted as I became an adult to where I started to learn Mm -hmm. through therapy and self-discovery and really digging in on where all of my thoughts and my feelings are coming from and so my resentment of all that my dad did to us, um, my resentment shifted to my mom because she made a stay. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah, why'd she put you through that? Mm-hmm. Why'd she put herself through that? Right. Because um, she told me horrific stories that, of things that my dad did prior to me being born. You know? Oh. And, so I th- and so I was always like, she is weak. She is this weak human that puts up with it, you know, why she made us have the life she had. This is why I fully believe she made us have the life that we had. Had she have left him, she could have divorced him. In my little brain, it was all these things that she could have done that she didn't do. So I resented her and I didn't like that. I didn't like how I felt. And she relied on me for everything. So I was, it was just, it's odd relationship, but I became my parents' Um, source of peace mm-hmm. in their lives. I became that. My parents never knew that I had any angst 
about them. Never. Wow. And I'm sure they know now because they're hearing all this, you know, on the other (laughs) side. But Right. um, And that's why it was so important to me not to write my story until after they had passed because I did not want to cause pain in Mm -hmm. any way. But I didn't like this resentment that I had towards my mom. And I and it bothered me that she wasn't this compassionate person towards him when he got sick, when he, he got cancer. Mm-hmm. And he fought cancer for about 10 years. And he ended up just withering away to just this little bag of bones. You know, it was really a brutal, slow process. And it really, really bothered me. Why did she put up with him all these years, but yet she's going to treat him like this when he's sick and dying. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that's when I thought, okay, I got to go back to therapy again, you know, because something is still holding me back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> something I have not overcame, something that I have not addressed that is causing me to feel this way. I became really good at that. And because, okay, what's bothering? This is bothering me. X, Y, and Z is bothering me. Obviously, it's not what's going on right now. It's something to have to do with my past. So we mm-hmm. got it. We have to address this. So I found this really great counselor. Her name's Leslie. I talk about her in the book. She actually writes in my book. She wrote the whole section about EMDR. Uh-huh. And the whole technical side of it. And she told, and I told her then, I, my first appointment with her, I said, I just got to let you know, when things get hard, I stop coming. And because she wanted to address the whole sexual abuse thing. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to know about that. Um, if you're going to talk about that stuff, it's going to get hard for me and I'm going to stop coming. And she goes, well, I'm not going to let you stop coming. And it was really interesting to me because no one's ever said that to me before. Mm. And I was curious. I'm like, well, how does she think she's going to do that? You know, because I'm in charge if I get in my car and drive over here to right, your office, right. you know. And so, but she was, she's really special. She, um, she had a way of getting to me and my brain that you don't want to live like this the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to have these feelings. You want to overcome this once and for all. All of it, get it all out on the table. And so that's when she started telling me about EMDR. And EMDR was designed for PTSD people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought, PTSD? I don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't have that. You know, we're so good at dismissing the things that we don't have. When in reality, that's exactly what I did have. Mm-hmm. You know, I had this major trauma from my childhood that was causing me to react in every facet of my current life. Yep. And so I thought, all right, what do I have to lose? You know, really, two hours. That's what I have to lose in my life. You know, okay, I'm doing this. And that's when I discovered so much about myself. And EMDR doesn't take away the memories, but it helps you take, it takes away the pain associated with mm-hmm. the memories. Yeah. And honestly, I could never have written my book without it. Because before, sitting here talking with you about all of this, I would be a wreck right now. Yeah. I would be emotional, I'd be shaking, I'd be out of control. I couldn't talk about any of my past without really feeling the pain and the fear and having it take me back there. Yeah. I I've, I've, um, have a friend who, um, her husband went through EMDR um, because of some things that happened in the service. And, mm-hmm. um, and it really helped him to where, yeah, people could be talking about it. He could be talking about it, but he wasn't having like a nervous breakdown anymore. 
Exactly. He was able to be like, yeah, that's what happened. Right. You know? Matter of factly. Yep. It's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Because, as a matter of fact, um, for my book, I've been recording Audible. And I've been doing that. And the, the guy, the, the recording studio professional, he says, I'm reading them, my book. And he goes, this is really, really traumatic stuff. He goes, you've got to put more feeling into this. And I said, well, I've worked really hard not to have feeling behind this. But that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You don't have any emotion attached to that. You have no pain. You have no fear. No emotion attached to that memory. But does that give you comfort that you don't have that anymore? Yes. Yeah. That was brutal. Because you've let go and now you can have joy, like yes. true joy in your life. Yes. And it also opened up a, an entire different pathway of an understanding as to why my father was the way he was mm -hmm. and why my mother the way, was the way she was. And it took away all the anger, the hatred, the resentment from both of them. And I just had love and understanding for them. I think that's wonderful that you were able to feel love for your father before he passed. Mm. I really do. Because, you know, I mean, you would have regretted it. I absolutely would have regretted it. But it was so important to me mm -hmm. that he didn't die in regret. Oh, okay. That's what, that was what was my drive was. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, yeah, I wanted to be... Because forgiveness isn't for the other person. Forgiveness is for us. Mm -hmm so that we don't carry that heavy weight around anymore. Mm -hmm. But I felt like before I had that conversation with him that I had taken care of that for myself. Mm -hmm. But I knew for sure because we never talked about it. It was never talked about in my family what happened. And, um, but because I knew he had regret. He had a mountain of guilt. And I didn't want him to pass away with that. And, you know, what we know in the gospel, because my dad was inactive my entire life, um, what we know in the gospel is the glorious things to come, mm -hmm. you know, when we do pass on to the next life. And I wanted him to be able to receive all of that. And not because if we don't take care of things here, we, we still have to take care of them there. Yeah. And I didn't want him to have to do that. I wanted him to be able to pass on to the next life, freed from this life, and be able to progress yeah and, and move forward move forward and be who he needs to be in, mm -hmm. the, in the other side yeah well something something that I have learned through the course of my entire journey is that I absolutely signed up for this and and I it's it's such a beautiful part of my book it's actually my the favorite part of my book is when I have that huge revelation that confirmation with John by the way and how he's talking and he's not talking. There's thousands of people in this big, huge ballroom and he's only talking to me. I knew it, that he was just talking to me. And that was literally only 12 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and that I knew. And then when he and I had this conversation right at the wrap up of my book, when I asked him to write the foreword and we had that this heart-to-heart -heart conversation on the phone where I'm crying and he's crying and we're sharing stories and it was confirmed to me that I absolutely when Heavenly Father said there is this family that has generational abuse and pain who will sign up and I'm having chills right now who will sign up to go there to stop it and I raised my hand mm -hmm. I know for absolute surety 
that I raise my hand. I can totally do that. Mm-hmm. I will go down there and I will stop it. And that's why my book is called The Chain Breaker. It stopped with me because, and I didn't realize it at the time, but when I heard John, by the way, talking about all of this and how he was talking to me and he's telling, I, I literally froze there and said, he's telling my story. This, this is me. He's talking to me. And that I knew that I had already done that and I just didn't know it. I had already stopped it Mm -hmm. because, and my brother had stopped it and my sister had stopped it because not one of us drink alcohol, not one of us are abusive. I mean, our children have had great childhoods, all of them. And so it had stopped and, but it didn't stop with my dad. And that's the thing that I learned. And that's what I want people to understand is that when when abuse happens, it's most likely they're here with their own set of tools. They learned this from somebody else that mm-hmm. learned it from somebody else, literally. And I have studied the heck out of this and it has gone on for about five generations as far back as I can read wow. of this abuse that has gone on. And, and my dad, he wasn't able to stop it, but I was in the pre-existence and my brother and sister were in the pre-existence and we are raising our hands and we said, absolutely send us, we will stop it. And like I said previously in our interview here that I thought as a child, there's no way I signed up for this, but I know now that I did, mm-hmm. you know, and so it gave me this love for my parents. It gave me this love for my father and because I had this compassion for him. And so it just changed everything. And it's hard to swallow when you're in the midst of being abused absolutely. that I signed up for this. What are you absolutely out of your mind? No, I didn't, you know, right. but there's a reason. And if we can open ourselves up to the spirit to learn what that reason is, because I know that there are so many people out there that have gone through this and it's heartbreaking and it's unfair. Well, and too many times we feel sorry for ourselves. Oh yeah. And so we and we think it's our fault, so we don't do anything about mm-hmm. it because there's nothing we can do about it. No. You know, so I think definitely I agree that you chose this mm-hmm. um, just based on everything that I've heard. Um, and it just, you, you realized or you were given that blessing at the time that it was supposed to be here mm-hmm. of you signed up for this and you know how to break this. You know how to make it change. And... Um, it's it's really sad I think sometimes when it takes us so long or when that you know like well why didn't I know this five years ago oh, right. why didn't I know this ten years ago mm-hmm. but it is you know everything has its time and season and sometimes we have to go through really hard things before we know why and you know I feel really awful that you went through what you went through mm-hmm. but the fact that now um, you know you have broken that chain and you are experiencing joy and now you can help others yes and you know I used to feel really sorry for myself too that I you know why did I have to be put in this home why my (laughs) friends had these magical their daddy's little girl why did I have Mm -hmm. to do this but you know now that I know what I know I feel honored honestly that's a true statement um because I know that in a sense I was a savior on Mount Zion Mm -hmm. and I suffered for the innocent so the innocent didn't have to suffer so that it stopped so that my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren did not have to. And so I feel honored that I was trusted to stop this. And that's what I want. And it, it's really hard to 
accept when you're going through it. And I, I know that and I have compassion for people that are going through it, that have gone through it, that, okay, Heavenly Father sent me into this abusive home on purpose. Um, but it has changed me and it has made me who I am. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always like myself, yeah. but I really love who I am. And, and all of this, I know does not define me. It was absolutely not my fault, mm-hmm. but you do, you carry that guilt. What could I have done differently? Um, but it doesn't have anything to do with the, the person that was offended. Um, it has everything to do with the sickness that this generation prior to has not been able to overcome. And it is absolutely a sickness. And the things that I learned my dad witnessed and the things that I learned that my dad had to endure were horrible. Mm-hmm. And so it just gave me a whole different level of compassion and love. And that is how the Savior operates. And that's how I want to be. Yeah, that's amazing. So in your book, you did say that you actually went to your dad mm-hmm. and told him that you forgave him. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that go? Like, was he understanding? Did he have, I mean, you, you do say that, you know, he had regrets, but did he express that to you or was it just like, okay, thanks. Yeah. It was like that. Second like that. Part. Yeah. Um, and I knew that he wouldn't because so I had this conversation with him six months before he passed and he's been gone five years. Oh. So this has been pretty recent. Um, but I, when I was going over there, I was going to tell him everything I was forgiving him for. Mm. I forgive you for coming home drunk every Saturday night and beating mom and the things that happened to me and us being terrified of you, our whole existence. You know, I forgive you for X, Y, and Z. That's what I was going over there to tell him. And I had practiced it. I stood in the mirror. I practiced it out loud so many times exactly what I was going to say because we didn't have conversations. We didn't talk. And because I was too afraid of him. And I, and I think a lot of that is because he was felt guilty. He didn't know how to have a relationship because he was consumed with guilt. I mean, these horrible Saturday nights happened. Sunday morning came around and everybody was like, nothing happened. We walked around literally like zombies and putting on our faces and went to church like nothing happened. And that's what we did every single week. It was the craziest thing. And so I knew that he wouldn't address it. And so, but that's what I was bound and determined to do. I had to say every single thing I was forgiving him for in order to be able to forgive him. This was my perception. Didn't work out that way at all. You know, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and that is not what the Savior wanted me to say. It was clear (laughs) and it was obvious, and everything that came out of my mouth that day was nothing that I had prepped for. It was all about love and grace and all the wonderful things that he did do. You know, my dad was an honest man. He was a hard worker. He did raise three amazing children, and in spite of it all, and that's what I talked about. And that day is when I saw him the way my Savior saw him. And it was, the, it was a miracle. There's no other word for it. It was an absolute miracle because I had hatred. I had resentment. And I wanted him to know it, but yet I was going to forgive you for it. But I still had all this. It made no sense, but that was Allison's thought process. And, um, but the Savior healed me that day, and he gave me the most beautiful miracle that he's sitting this frail man in this chair and very coherent, very smart. My dad was a very brilliant man. And, um, and he never, ever lost his mind at all. 
in, in, through cancer. He was always still very sharp and witty. Mm-hmm. And, and we just talked about all the good things. We talked about my brother and my sister and me and my kids and how, you know, if he hadn't set these examples that he set for us, then we wouldn't be the people that we are today. And then he just said, he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm very proud of my children. And then I don't write about this in my book because it's really special, but I've thought about it later and wish that I had of, um, that I asked him if I could do our temple work, if I could do his temple work, um, because we weren't sealed. And so that always was upsetting to me growing up because all my, my friends were sealed to their families. Families were forever. And we would sing that song in church. I'm like, well, my family's not forever, nor do I want my family to be forever at that time. Um, and so I asked him, I said, Dad, can, I, can we go to the temple and have you and Mom sealed and all of us kids sealed to you guys? Can we do your temple work? And he was like, yeah, I really like that. And it, was, it changed everything because here was this man that knew the church to be true, but yet he was consumed in guilt mm-hmm. that he couldn't overcome it. And that's what I was so grateful for, that the Savior was able to to put on a different pair of glasses for me to see him in a different light Mm -hmm. and love him for who he is and be free. I wanted him to be free to pass on and soar. That's what I wanted. What an amazing experience and what an honor to, to have Heavenly Father do that for you. I know it was an honor. Yeah. And a miracle. It was just I'm not giving it justice in how I'm describing it, but it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had. So you've been married um, to your current husband, you said, for about 32 years, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, um, you know, maybe there's 32 more. And, you know, <laughs> what? how do you see your future now that you are free, now that you have broken that chain and you have been able to forgive your father and your mother you know how do you see your future wonderful I mean I've experienced it um the last five six years of just being able to love my husband because I didn't know how to love yeah honestly and I don't necessarily know that that's the correct statement of not knowing how I wouldn't allow myself to yeah because if I loved someone they could hurt me Mm mm-hmm and I was never going to be hurt again. I made that determination at a very young age that I was not going to allow anyone else to hurt me. And so no matter what, I was going to protect myself. And that meant not loving. And, but I have missed out. I have missed out on so much greatness mm-hmm. by not allowing myself to love. I mean, my husband is the most loving, free loving person accepting person and he has taught me he himself has taught me how to love but I have learned to love by letting go Mm -hmm. and um, I'm just glad that you were able to let yourself um, you know because with your first experience your first husband and mm -hmm. having you know really no support there Mm -hmm. but what a blessing that you allow yourself to have a, a another chance yeah you know and even though you still started having issues this man that god blessed you with helped you to get through it instead of you know like it's not important like it was oh, important yes. to him that you were okay and that you figured it out and so i think that is you know 
it's so wonderful sometimes. It's weird, but it's wonderful when we can sit and look back and go, oh, okay, I can see exactly where the Lord's hand was. You know, like, this was hard, but he put the right person in, the, in my life for me at this time, and he got me through. I 100% believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I fully believe that our path is on purpose. And yes, we do make choices that kind of take us off the path, mm-hmm. but our journey is our, is our own unique journey. And I don't regret my first marriage at all. I learned so much from that marriage and I got three amazing children from that mm-hmm. marriage. And he has an extremely happy marriage now. It's just that he and I were just not a cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I learned so much from it that took me into my next marriage and my next relationship that I knew I didn't want. Mm-hmm. And so, but my husband now is, I mean, no one's perfect and he's definitely not perfect, but I hold him on this pedestal because for me personally, he was what I needed Yeah. because he didn't give up on me. Yeah. And he could have, there was many times where I was crazy for lack of a better word. <laughs> right. I just was, I'm, I'm sure that he sat back and like, what on earth are you thinking? This is so off base, you know? And, but yet he didn't give up on me and we just kept fighting it towards a better life. Moving forward, I just, there's so much hope for people out there to let, that song from Frozen has had a whole different meaning for me. <laughs> let it go. I'm telling you, I can sing it verbatim. But um, that's, that's the key, is don't hold yourself accountable. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. It absolutely, things that happen to us do not define us, other than it makes us who we are. It makes us the wonderful, happy, mm-hmm. so much to offer person because of what we went through. If we allow it. I mean, I fought it. I fought it for a really long time. And our experiences can mold us into this person that we were meant to be. Mm-hmm. That we were predestined to be here upon this earth if we let it. But I, like I, I said, I fought it. And d- that's what I just want to say. Don't fight it. Let it happen. Let the process happen work Mm -hmm. through it there is literally light at the end of that tunnel and there is happiness and there is joy that i can't even explain doesn't change the past it's still the past and it doesn't make what happened to us right and it doesn't make it okay Mm -hmm. but it helps us realize who we are Mm -hmm. and what we have to offer and it's infinite and it is great and it is never changing and we do have so much to offer. Yeah. I love, I just love all of it because, you know, even though it was hard, you didn't give up. You might've postponed your progression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you didn't give up. Mm-mm. And it just reminds me of, um, a saying, you know, that, that, that Christ said, I never said it'd be easy. I said it would be worth it. Right. You know? And so, no matter what we're going through, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard and we're going to have setbacks. But if we keep moving forward and we can break that chain or we can make a change, then, um, you know, in the end, it's definitely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah. You know, and that's why I just want people, I don't regret what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't hold any angst about it. I mean, there's parts of me that, 
okay, maybe I could have learned what I learned without having to go through that, but probably not. You know, probably not because I don't know the beginning from the end. And there's only two people that do, you know, my Heavenly Father and my Savior. And I trust in that. I heavily rely on that. And, And like I said before, I actually like who I am. I didn't like who I was when I was putting up this fake mm-hmm. face you know I didn't like that person and it the thing still happened to me but I was acting like it didn't and now that I admit fully and freely and very descriptively what happened to me in my childhood I like that person because I can be a vessel I can be an instrument to help other people overcome yes quicker yeah than I did and that's what we're here for right we're here to learn and then take that knowledge and help other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful that you've shared your story with us. It's definitely amazing um, you know, that we, we can make our lives great and experience joy. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. You're so welcome. Thank you You're for welcome. allowing me to be here. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. You too. <laughs> so great. So, well, thank you. Thank you for joining me today on Test Talks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Allison about her book, The Chain Breaker, It Stopped With Me. Some of the things that I loved about our conversation and what I learned is we don't know what we don't know. We are all doing the best we can with the information that we have now. And I think that's a great thing for everyone to think about that perhaps you know her dad was abusive but he did what he knew to do and he didn't know any better so I really feel like it's important for us to not judge people too much because we don't know what we don't know and when we put on facades that are not a reality and we pretend to be having this perfect life and that everything is great and that we have nothing wrong with anything in our life, um, I think it really puts a block, um, like a wall up, and we don't really get to know people and we don't let people get to know us. And I think that's really sad because, you know what, we all have problems and it's okay that we all have problems. And sometimes it's okay to talk about it and that way we can help each other. Um, I also loved, she said, whatever we are going through in our lives, there is absolutely a root cause. So there is a reason, there's a root cause, and if we can get to that root cause and then mend it or work on it, we can have such a happier life. So this week, I would like you to work on letting people see the real you and allow yourself to be loved and cared for. We honestly all deserve to be loved. So again, this week, allow yourself to be loved and love others. You don't know what they're going through either. And as always, love hard, live full, and laugh often. And I'll see you next week.